0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 25th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Electronic medical records were supposed to revolutionize the delivery of medicine, but it hasn't worked out that way. Twyla Brays is author of the new book, Big Brother in the Exam Room, The Dangerous Truth About Electronic Health Records. We spoke last month. I want to start with this because I think most people just have an inkling about what uh, their what's in their electronic uh, health records. Um, how has that document uh, changed over the last twenty years or so?
1: well, the there were paper medical records, and a lot of people had paper, a lot of doctors and hospitals had paper medical records. But after the um the essential, uh, Quasi a mandate to um, put them in or be penalized. Um, now most of them have an electronic health record, and it's not paper anymore. And it contains all sorts of things that were never in the pa- in the paper record. And actually, they're very difficult to find because everything is in this uh, electronic computerized form through fields and drop-down menus and different screens. And so it's a very different entity that has been imposed on. The uh, doctor and patient in the exam room than it was before, and I should say I should say that there were electronic health records. There were electronic health records before the uh, before Congress imposed this um, particular government certified version of the electronic health record, which I call the government EHR. Um, and those those private electronic health records they worked for the doctor. Some of the doctors actually. Um, pulled them together themselves. They put in all the things that they needed just for their practice to make it work just for their practice. And so it was perfect for them. Whereas now the electronic health record that has to do what the government says it has to do is not perfect for them. And and they have a hard time um, working with it. They use terms like clunky or inefficient or You know, or they just can't find the data that they need.
0: What do, uh, what does the broad public not really know about electronic health records that doctors do that uh, causes so many problems?
1: The public doesn't understand that the electronic health record that has been imposed by the government is not made and never was made for the purpose of patient care. It was made for data collection, was made for data reporting, and it was essentially made for outsiders to use that data to reach into the exam room and control what happens in there, essentially to control their doctors. And doctors realize this they they know about the uh, the embedded protocols, they know about the clinical decision support, they they know about the um, treatment. Uh, protocols that are in there that, and the tracking that happens and all the check boxes that they have to check to um, do things the way outsiders want them to do things in order for the doctor to be paid. They know all of that. I think a lot of patients think that probably the electronic health record is some computerized Whiz bang thing that's like that uh, phone in their pocket, but it's it's nothing of the sort, and it doesn't work uh, efficiently, effectively, and it, and it was never made for patient care. It doesn't follow the way patients are taken care of. I have a section in the book, a wonderful quote just about how that is true, how those who designed it had no idea they <laughs> they have no idea how to take how to take care of a patient or how that works. And I'm an emergency room nurse and. And so I have taken care of lots of patients in my lives. And there's all sorts of little things and that the electronic health record now gets in the way of.
0: So uh, if it's not designed for patient care and it is designed for data collection, uh, what I guess in terms of when the government foisted this upon doctors, what was the hoped for use well, or what was the what was the benefit that uh, the government had identified, or the the feds in in putting this in into law?
1: Well, the proponents had pushed the idea of cost containment and savings. They had uh, said, well, there are a number of different figures, but the one that I typically uh, would tell people about is the seventy seven billion dollars a year that's going to be saved uh, if we had electronic health records nationwide. Um, so that was that was the plan because, of course, you know Congress is looking at Medicare and they're looking at Medicaid, and both of them are, um, you know, they're these huge programs. Medicare is running out of money, and if they could use the electronic health record to essentially control the doctors, they could contain costs. They could get the doctors to be paid only if the doctors provided quality care, or as they say today, only if the the doctors provide value. But of course. The payers get to decide what value is, and it's entirely possible that the patients get harmed because what real value is um, is up to the patient and the doctor, and, and and can't actually be quantified. But that was that was the plan. The plan was to take control of the doctors, to limit uh, costs, to, to do cost containment, to stop the doctors from providing services that the government and other outsiders don't want provided, and in that way to con, you know to. Uh, well, to constrain cost, I guess.
0: How does this uh, alter the relationship between doctors and patients?
1: Well, I think it alters it in a number of ways. First, you'll hear a lot of patients complain about seeing the back of the doctor's head. Um, and And so the doctor now has... Um, rather than walking in and um, shaking hands with the patient and sitting down and looking at the patient in the eyes and perhaps, you know, um, listening really carefully and watching the patient's face as they tell their story, which tells a whole lot. Um, Now the doctor is um, focused on the electronic health record and making sure that they've checked all the boxes, they've answered all the questions that they need in order to get paid. These are what's called quality measures or they're, they're another word for them is process measures. And if they don't do all the processes that the outsiders, the health plans, the government require of them, they won't get paid and they'll be dinged because they'll be considered a not a quality doctor or that they haven't provided quality care. But of course, in the process of all the box clicking and all the focused attention on the electronic health record, they're really diminishing the quality of care of the patient. They're taking uh, time away from the patient, they're not watching and carefully listening to the patient. Sometimes patients are actually told that they can only ask uh, two or three questions. They can't go on to another subject other than the subject that they came into the exam room for because the doctor doesn't have time. And you know, studies have shown that the doctors are spending basically twice as much time on the computer as. In actual face-to-face conversation with the patients, and this is never anything that the patient uh, that the doctors wanted to do. And so that you know, they're they're complaining about being being um, data clerks now. They're complaining about how this disrupts the patient doctor relationship. But at the end of the day, what it really means is the doctor is not focused on the patient, and the patient is the point of the entire healthcare system. And this this is detrimental to the patient. It discourages the patient from talking. It discourages the patient from telling the whole story, because if somebody is not looking at you and with a you know a listening face and a listening ear, then you're gonna it it's like they're not really interested. You just got to get do your business and get out of there. Uh, say what you have to say, and so you don't probably tell the whole story, and it really decreases trust as well, because this is not as much of a relationship as it is a service being provided.
0: So uh, you mentioned trust. Uh, who has access to these records? If this was a quasi-government uh, mandate and physicians are punished in, in a way for not using these, this specific kind of health record that is uh, uh, mandated, um, well, who has access to those records?
1: A lot of people have a lot of entities. So the federal government has in 2010 listed um I had a list of two point two million entities, of which one point five million of them are business associates. the other The other uh, seven hundred and two thousand are what's called covered entities. And they're the health plans, the clinics, the radiology facilities, the labs, you know any anyone that's actually providing a medical services and the health plan. so also those who are providing coverage services. And so under HIPAA, this is what people don't understand under HIPAA, um, data can be shared with all of these entities if those who hold the medical records of the patients choose to do so. And it can be shared without consent. HIPAA is not a privacy law. It is a uh, permissive data sharing rules, So it doesn't require your data to be shared, but it allows all of the sharing without your consent. And a lot of the contracts that health plans have with doctors require sharing the, of the data. And, and certain laws require sharing of the data. And then there are all these 1.5 million business associates to whom the the health plans, the hospitals, the doctors, and all these are sharing information in order to, for instance, comply with all of the vast regulatory structure around the healthcare system, as well as research and other
0: purposes. So I can imagine that having one system of electronic health records could provide uh, researchers, could provide uh, health plans with the opportunity to do a a lot of very extremely valuable research and come up with answers that no individual doctor could uh, come up with for treating patients. Um, So, I mean, is is that at least an upside that you see to uh, this sort of uh, cohesive uh, electronic health record that is uh, is used almost universally?
1: So there are, I just want to be clear, there are a variety of electronic health record systems and lots of them do not talk with each other. Uh, even, oh, see. even the EPIC system, you can have one hospital um, with a certain EPIC system and then you can have a clinic just, you know, half a mile down the road and they, they don't talk to each other. And so there are all these different medical record systems, electronic uh, record systems around the country that don't necessarily talk to each other. However, there is being built something Called the eHealth Exchange. It used to be called the National Health Information Network. And this is uh, something in which all of our medical records would be shared. And under HIPAA, they would be shared without our consent and they would be shared with researchers. And so, since your question, um, as well with researchers, Um, and since your question has to do with research, I guess, you know, the one thing that I would say is. Individuals have a right not to be research subjects without their consent. They really have a property interest in their own data, and the health plans and the hospitals and everybody else are supposed to be simply stewards of their information. But information has taken on a 21st century version of gold, and everybody wants access to patients' data to use it for their own purposes. And so researchers want access to it too for their own purposes. Now, if we just look at research all in its own self, then what you can see is there are objectionable research projects. There are research projects that people don't want to participate in. And then there are um, research projects that are meant to push policy in a certain direction. And so you can actually have a research project that will end up um, restricting your access to care because they come up with some sort of a statistic like, well, this this um, procedure works for 60% of the patients or 80% of the patients or 90% of the patients. So this will be the protocol that will be in the electronic health record. And this is the protocol that doctors will be measured on. And so if you happen to be the 10 or the 20 or the 15%, well, that doesn't work, right? It just becomes much more difficult for you to get access to the care that you need. And the physician doesn't have the freedom if they if they're tied to the government or tied to the insurance company, they don't have the freedom to teach, to treat you the way they want to treat you. They they might not be able to find the code in the electronic health health record to even order the care that they know would be best for you, but it's not there because the whoever owns the electronic health record system hasn't put that code in for you to use it to either order the treatment or to bill for the treatment.
0: What does this mean in terms of the the human cost? Can we is there some data available about what this kind of uh, mandate has done to the quality of care?
1: I think there is a variety of statistics, without having a specific one. So let's just look at the impact on the physician. So. The physicians are the only individuals in the world who have been had medical training and years and years and hours and hours of uh, medical training, and they've they've done something that nobody else has done, which is they've learned how to do differential diagnosis, which means to very carefully parse out what the different possibilities could be for a diagnosis for you. And they're the only ones who get that kind of training, and yet there was a study in 2016 of 17,200 physicians. That's a huge study. And 48% of those physicians are looking to get out of medicine altogether or to severely restrict the number of patients that they're willing to see. So they might go into concierge medicine, for instance, or they might choose to go the non-clinical route and get into research. But the, but the fact of the matter is they want to get out of patient care. and that's almost 50% of the physicians in the United States at a time where 10,000 baby boomers are entering Medicare every day. So that's one statistic. Another one is just how many doctors are committing suicide. Because they're they're demoralized, and as somebody uh, said once, you know, all of this data collection and all these electronic health records, it's it's really killing our physicians. And I don't think that that's what they meant, but it but it is killing the 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 joy. It's killing the joy that they went into medicine for, which was to have a patient doctor relationship and to solve things. It was not to be a data clerk. It was not to be under the thumb of somebody who's never had any medical training. It was it was not to do the bidding of other people, other than the patient. Patient. And so much of their time is being taken away from the patient that the joy is gone. For many of them, the joy is gone, and so they just want to leave. Now, for patients, they don't quite understand this yet that their patients, that their doctors are looking for the exit door. And this will be a huge cost on the patients who will not have access to physician led care, who will not have access to the only individuals who have been taught diagnostic um uh, why can't I think of the name? I just said it. Uh, differential diagnosis, and um, and so that's that's huge. But you know, the other thing is just: do patients feel cared for anymore? Do they feel listened to? Uh, I've had patients complain that doctors don't touch them anymore. Doctors don't look them in the eye anymore. Doctors only spend five minutes with them or seven minutes with them, and they're just in and out. This is all a huge human cost. And what is being missed? What diagnoses are being missed? Because you are not carefully listening. I did have a doctor once tell me, actually, I've had more than one doctor, but um, tell me that they can figure out almost 80 to 90% of the time, they can figure out what's wrong with the patient just by listening to the patient's story. But today, the emphasis is on completing the data Checklist in the electronic health record. It's not listening to the patient's story. So just think about the cost and the time, and um, and the feeling of that entire change over over the entire healthcare system.
0: Would we still have this problem even in absence of a federal mandate? Uh, that specific federal mandate. I mean, health plans want to save money, as you noted. They want to uh, you know, keep costs down, and uh, they want employers who provide the bulk of health insurance uh, in the United States to be happy with uh, what they're paying and not get too many complaints from employees about the quality of coverage? Would we see that? Would we see this kind of uh, sort of inefficient process that you point to anyway, even if we didn't have a federal mandate?
1: um, I'm I don't think so. I think the health plans are out there. The government's out there. They've always wanted to. But, but... They've always wanted to do this, but they never had a way. And the electronic health record is the tool that essentially gives them the kind of control that they want. It gives them the kind of data to decide whether or not they're going to pay a doctor, even though it means nothing. You know, um, I'm a member of the Deputy Secretary's Quality Summit, and we just had our first meeting, and and it was really decided amongst all of these folks uh, who are all in the quality measurement business that it's a mess. I mean that's 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 really the endpoint. It's just a, it's a mess, and um, and so it's not it's not working very well what they wanted to do. Um, but if they didn't have the electronic health record to do all this quality measurement business, to collect all of this data, and to make all of these you know decisions. You know, they could try, but there wouldn't be as much pressure on the doctors to um, do what the outsiders want them to do, and they would have more focus on the patients. Oh, yeah, I know I was going to say, I, at this quality summit, you know, one of the things that I pointed out is there's no—quality qu- can't be quantified. Um, they, uh, The Institute of Medicine, uh, about a decade or more ago, um, had a study in which they said You can have a doctor who provides what some people might consider poor quality, and the patient has a wonderful outcome. And you can have a doctor who does absolutely everything right that's considered best quality, and the patient can have an outcome that's terrible. They actually die. And so, or or they're just harmed, or they're just not going to get better. Uh, It can't be quantified. And even value. Um, Just about a year ago, they they brought 15 experts in value-based healthcare together to try and figure out, well, what is value? how should we define value? They did the Delphi method. They wanted to come up with a consensus and they found it. They couldn't do it. So, you know, this whole idea of paying doctors for value or paying doctors for quality, it's really all just about controlling doctors according to what the payers decide is value, even though it's not valuable, and what the payers decide is quality, even though it's taking away from the quality of the patient-doctor relationship and the the ability of the doctor to even um, figure out what's wrong with the patient. And so, yes, They've all wanted to do this, but the electronic health record is what's helped them to impose the co- the controls that they want. And what I would say, I mean, you mentioned health plans. And so the problem is that we have health plans. That's the problem. Because, you know, it was Ted Kennedy who put the health plans in, uh, and we consider it a corporate version of uh, socialized medicine where the data, the dollars, and the decisions are controlled by the health plan. And really, there used to be something called indemnity medical insurance in which the, the this real insurance company, not, not, not these prepaid health things, uh, but this real insurance company would pay the patient a large sum of money. One patient told me he got a check for $68,000 for heart surgery, and he used it to pay his doctor and his hospital. And that's, that's how you get rid of all of the third-party payer costs. That's how you get rid of the in- interference. That's how you get rid of even a desire for control, because there's no reason to control. All the control comes in the patient's hands as they work with their hospital and their doctor. And so it's, you know, health plans, I think, are the problem because they're really the corporate version of socialized medicine. And they've been It installed. sounds
0: like uh, you're calling for the patient to be the payer, at that's least correct. in most cases.
1: That's correct. The patient's always used to be the payer. It's because of all the third-party payment that we have now, all the third-party controls, all the third-party costs. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm, I'm very excited. We started the Wedge of Health Freedom at jointhewedge.com and and this is a growing list of doctors who have cut all their strings with insurance and cut all their strings with Medicare, and they take only cash, check, or charge. Now, you can have a health plan, but hopefully we're hoping to move the entire country back to indemnity uh policies. And if you want a health plan, fine, go have one and have all that interference and have all that extra cost. But indemnity insurance really is very affordable. It has a high deductible, but a very low premium. And it pays only for catastrophic or, you know, really expensive chronic conditions. And then everything else comes down to the to the pocketbook of the individual because it doesn't have to be expensive. Just look at the surgery center of Oklahoma where they take cash, check, or charge. It's so much less expensive than even the hospital up the street, like so much, like 50%, like 70% less for that surgery. And so, you know, the problem is that we have all of this, all of these third parties adding costs, you know, in between the patient and the doctor and it doesn't have to be that way. And so we're trying to bring it back the way it should be.
0: Twila Braze is author of Big Brother in the Exam Room, The Dangerous Truth About Electronic Health Records. We spoke last month. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.